Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. If you hear something that strikes your fancy... Connect with us, chat with us, tweet at us with the uh, handle Lisa Kamen and HH Talk Radio, or tweet at us specifically with that hashtag, Harvesting Happiness. Alrighty then, let's get to it. Today we are talking about altruism. And altruism is such an interesting subject because we're taught as children, or I'd like to think that most of us are taught as children, that it's nice to do good things, that it's nice to go out in the world and pay it forward. But there's a lot more to altruism, and there are a lot of benefits, in fact, to being an altruistic person. My first guest is Dr. Stephen G. Post. He's a public speaker on several topics, but including the health benefits of helping others, the spirit of philanthropy and compassion in healthcare. He is a best-selling author who is taught at the University of Chicago Medical School, Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and Stony Brook University School of Medicine, where he is the founding director of the Center for Medical Humanities, Compassionate Care, and Bioethics. He is an elected member of the College of Physicians of Philadelphia, the New York Academy of Medicine, and the Royal Society of Medicine in London. Good morning, Dr. Post. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Lisa. I'm delighted to hear your introduction. It was so eloquent about well, love and happiness and, and sustainability. It was a beautiful, beautiful statement. Thank you. Well, it's um, 
it's important. You know, when positive psychology first became popular in the news, I think people misunderstood the science of happiness or the happyology of wanting to cultivate or generate more joy in our daily lives. And I think as, as the decades have marched on and the research continues to appear, we see that there's something really valid about generating joy and what the components of that really mean. And altruism, doing good for the sake of doing good, is one of them. Very much so. Uh, I grew up with a, a very Irish mother by the name of Molly McGee Post. And when I would have a slightly blue day uh, on a street without many kids on it, my mom would always say to me, Stevie, why don't you go out and do something for someone? And I did. I went out and helped Mr. Lawrence fix his boat or Mr. Muller rake the leaves. And I'd always come back feeling uh, uplifted. So uh, my mom had it right. It was kitchen table wisdom. And uh, boy, you know, there's nothing, nothing like the, the uh, spirit of, of giving, of focusing on the lives of others to bring us a kind of inner peace and serenity and also health and, believe it or not, greater longevity over the course of a lifetime. Let's go a little bit deeper into the health benefits. The greater longevity is one of them that you've just mentioned. There are studies that have been done, and there is evidence that is substanti- substantiates that which you just shared. Yes, there is. Um, one, of the, one of the most powerful studies comes out of the San Francisco Bay Area in uh, the 1920s. Uh, these were Berkeley uh, faculty members in psychology who studied a group of about 312-year-olds at the time. They're now, of course, the, the, the 12-year-olds are well into their late 90s. Uh, they asked them what, what rocked their boat, uh, what motivated them. About 100 of the 300 said, I'd like to use my gifts to help humanity and make a difference. They followed these kids over the course of their lifetimes, uh, every 10 years, interviewing them, looking at their med records, giving them tests on personality and fulfillment and happiness and the like. Turns out that the 100 had much lower levels of depression, lower levels of heart disease and other illnesses. And now that this group is, again, well into their late 90s, about two-thirds of those who are still alive come from the one-third who, as 12-year-olds, said, I want to use my gifts for the sake of others. Now, of course, it's a scientific generalization. There's lots of exceptions. People get in accidents. They get sudden terminal diagnoses and the like. But as a, as a scientific generalization, there's something about catching the fire of goodness early in life that can provide a sort of protective halo uh, that can follow you your whole life long. I love what you just said, catching the fire of goodness. That's beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to, to, to be working on this topic. I've been working on it most of my life, and since I was about 15, actually. The thing I was going to say was that when I came to Stony Brook, it was 2008, and um, the uh, managed health care system, United Healthcare, uh, was wondering, you know, is it really good to be good? You know, we'd done the book, Why Good Things Happen to Good People, which is a, you know, not entirely true, but again, as a generalization, it is. And um, 
so a couple of years later, we did a national survey. We, we uh, uh, Roughly 5,000 American adults asking them, did you volunteer in 2009? And um, about 41% of them volunteered. Uh, on average, 100 hours a year, which is just if you break it down, uh, a couple of hours a week maybe. And boy, did they, you know, 96% said, makes me feel happier. 68% said, makes me feel physically healthier. That's like me. I, I, I went on a low protein, uh, a high protein, low carbo diet a couple of weeks ago, and I have a lot more energy right now. So that's the kind of self-reported robustness, uh, better friendships, deeper friendships, greater gratification, more resiliency uh, when confronted with the hard obstacles in life. So you look at that and you think to yourself, uh, we ought to maybe even be recommending that in geriatric clinics or to adolescents in a psychiatric clinic, uh, or some studies say uh, it's a good thing for people with chronic pain because it gets their mind uh, off their experience of pain, focusing on others, and a lot of the experience of pain is about intentionality or, shall we say, awareness of what's going on. So this is all good stuff, and we're just beginning to um, get a real handle on it. When we define altruism, um, put it into your words. I mean, I know how I, I look at altruism. You know, with It, it really is um, the act of doing something for somebody else with, with no expectation of receiving in return. Would you agree with that? Would you elaborate upon that? I, I would agree. It's, uh, it, it is a, a pay-it-forward mentality. I call it the dandelion effect. You blow onto a dandelion and all those little particles go drifting off into the air. and You don't know exactly where they're landing, but you're hoping that it's inspiring people here and there to do acts of goodness. You know, the, the biologists made, I think, uh, um, a bit of a mistake in focusing altruism on bees because in beehives when that worker bee stings it dies so altruism developed a very unsavory reputation basically they said look if you're a real altruist uh, uh, you can't be gratified you can't experience joy and fulfillment through it uh, it's it, that's too too selfish altruism doesn't have any of that well let me tell you human beings are hardwired and Darwin Later in life, in the Descent of Man, talked about this. He said we evolve in groups, and groups do better if they have a lot of uh, deeply uh, developed altruism, kindness, generosity. And yes, you know, your uh, mesolimbic pathway gets active, the part of the brain that's associated with, with delight and gratification and doles out one of the happiness chemicals, dopamine, and you've got serotonin, floating around your body in these kinds of experiences, which is known as the tranquility hormone. It gives people a real sense of, uh, of inner serenity and so forth, etc. So, so uh, the idea that somehow uh, if, you're, if you have this inward gratification at what you're, what you're doing and how you're helping others, that it's not quite altruism, that is completely bizarre and inhuman. Humans are made to flourish when they contribute to the lives of others. And the best picture of this is Norman Rockwell's The Golden Rule. All those people, 1961 in that picture, 
uh, just focusing their minds, what can I do to help others? And they're from every religious background, every age, every color, every ethnicity, um, men, women, you name it. And they're all just focusing. Do unto mm-hmm. others as you would have them do unto you. And you look at their faces and they are glowing. They have what I call the giver's glow. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, there's a peacefulness about that picture. And that's the way, that's the way we flourish. That's what happiness is all about. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with Dr. Stephen G. Post on altruism. To learn more, please visit www.unlimitedloveinstitute.org or stephengpost.com. On Facebook, the page is the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. And on Twitter, the handle is at Stephen G. Post. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on T-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it often. Why? Because it's free, it's kind, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we're talking about altruism with Dr. Stephen G. Post. So, Dr. Post, prior to the break, we were talking about some of the components of altruism, some of the positive effects of doing good and feeling better. And on the break, you and I briefly touched upon Darwin and how Darwin wrote about love significantly in his work, and yet that is not where scientists in the past have focused their attention. Well, you're quite right. Love, you know, well, what's the definition? Uh, I, I, I offer this, but I borrow it from a, a well-known psychiatrist from the University of Chicago, Harry Stack Sullivan, long since deceased. He said, when the happiness, security, and well-being of another 
is as real and meaningful to you as your own, or in some cases, even more so, you love that person. Now, that's the deep stuff. That's what makes us find life worthwhile. You know, people who go to school and study, studies show they do better on average if they have some identifiable group that they love. Our medical students do better, the ones who really come because they want to help people with Alzheimer's disease or they want to do something for kids with autism. That dimensionality of love, of really deeply caring about the well-being of others, that's so core. And Darwin understood this later in his life. Uh, He started talking about group selection. Evolution wasn't just about me versus you uh, anymore. Uh, he, He understood how important group dynamics were and how much evolution occurs between groups. But uh, this ideal of love for Darwin, uh, it had an obstacle, which was in-group, out-group division. Sometimes we love everybody who's like us, thinks like us, believes like us, looks like us. But then outsiders, we demonize them, we dehumanize them. And so he thought at that point, he actually appealed to the philosopher Kant, who uh, had a notion of a common or a shared humanity. So Darwin's ultimate ideal was to move love from the in-group where it evolved to all of humanity without exception. That was Charles Darwin as he grew older and, and more insightful about the human condition. And this ties so beautifully into uh, the theme of altruism or the practice of altruism, because I I believe or my experience has been that it it, 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 uh, enables me to draw on that unconditional love or, as uh, Carl Rogers put, that unconditional positive regard for another human being simply because they're alive. Absolutely. And of course, transpersonal psychology really gets this very, very well. Positive psychology as well. Uh, You know, if you go back to the person who coined the word altruism, it was a French sociologist unknown to most of your listeners, I'm sure, but a fellow by the name of Comte. And he basically said, well, there's altruism versus egoism. And he said, you know, if you're an egoist, um, you know, I'm at the center of the universe. Uh, All the planets revolve around me. I only relate to other people because they contribute to my narrow little agendas. You ever meet Mm. someone like that? One or two. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and it gives you headaches. But then he said, you know, um, when you you live altruistically, it's just a matter of valuing others as ends in themselves of acts of kindness that are not caught up in uh, reciprocal calculations, uh, but, but really do pay it forward. And Martin Buber, the great Jewish philosopher, just made that distinction in terms of I, it, and I, thou. There's still an I, but it's a more fulfilled, it's a more glorious, it's a deeper, it's a happier I. And by our studies, it's an I that's sleeping better, that's less anxious, 
that have mm-hmm. deeper friendships because my friends are no longer just the people I party with, no offense to the world, you know, but they're the people who I share dreams with and goals in helping others. So that's, that, that's the true I, and in all the great spiritual and moral traditions, uh, when we achieve that, um, we, can, we can be happy in, in the deeper sense that you referred to earlier. And in terms of practicing altruism in compassionate care within our health care system, I, I work with a lot of young adults who are struggling with addiction and, and more mature ones as well. But I, I've observed that when I go into the psychotherapeutic coaching counseling mode in the work, it's oftentimes not as effective when I show up in the loving mode, like purely loving these men and women, and and um, having empathy and compassion for what they are going through. Mm-hmm. And where does it sit in your own experience in medicine, how we teach young doctors in training to adapt this in their own practices? Well, this is what I do here at Stony Brook 24-7, is educate uh, young doctors and medical students um, in compassionate care, you know, it's um, it's easy to just learn skill sets, technical skill sets, and that's all very important. But what about uh, the human side of medicine? What about uh, learning about the value of empathy, and not just cognitive empathy? You know, asking the right questions and maybe offering a brief empathic statement you know, so that the patient knows that you think he or she is a little bit more than a slab of biology. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but but to actually have an an affective or a somewhat emotional dimension to uh, to empathy, and of course, compassion is empathy in the context of suffering. So we do a lot of simulated exercises with paid actor patients who give students feedback. We are very interventionist around here. Um, but listen, it's good for the patients. All of our studies show that the best predictor for patients being adherent to difficult treatments is whether they can say that their clinician was empathic. Also, you get much clearer differential diagnosis from empathic clinicians because the patients feel safe and they reveal things, Lisa, about themselves that they otherwise never would, even if you asked all the questions under the sun. And guess what? It doesn't take any longer to interview them that way. And also, even with regard to physical outcomes, we now have excellent studies showing uh, that wound healing is somewhat faster, probably about 20% faster in patients who uh, feel that kind of tender, loving care. It's a great, great study about people waking up post-surgically in a hospital in Pennsylvania, and both groups have um, the same surgeries. They're all matched. They, they have windows. One, one, one group has a window looking out over a brick wall. The other group looks out over a beautiful uh, wooded area, and the ones who look out over the wooded area are getting out of the hospital about uh, 20% faster and healed. So the point is that when you uh, lower the stress response by avoiding abrupt uh, uh, remarks, by being dismissive or discourteous, 
you allow uh, uh, the wound healing cascade uh, to go ahead at a more robust pace, and that involves uh, uh, interleukin, it involves the lowering of stress hormones, and a whole lot of things. So this is all very, very real. It is. It is very, very real. And I remember uh, many years ago, uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel wrote a wonderful book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And he's a a cancer surgeon, and he talked about his observations with his patients, what would happen when he just loved them. You know, yes, there was treatment, there was protocol, there were all the things that go along with modern medicine, but the outcomes were so much different. Absolutely. And lots of studies nowadays in the last four years have pointed out that the placebo effect is, you know, it's partly if you believe that that yellow pill or purple pill is going gonna, is gonna to help you, you're, you know, it's mind over matter and, and there is a placebo dimension to most of medical care. But actually, at least half of the placebo effect is related to the emotional quality and trust that you have in the empathic individual who is caring for you. So and this is incredibly important. It's incredibly important, and it, and it ties in beautifully to this, um, this way of being in the world, this altruistic way of being. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a muscle, much like any other emotion that we can train to increase. You know, to become more altruistic, we, we practice altruism. And the more we practice it, the more it becomes a habit. And by altruism, we're not talking about writing a check. We're talking about rolling up our sleeves and actually getting in there and just doing goodness, creating goodness for the sake of goodness. Absolutely. And every morning when you get up, you know, what I do is I, 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 I go back to Rockwell. I go back to that golden rule. And I ask myself, okay, I know I'm going to encounter all these people over the course of a busy day. I have ruthlessly busy days sometimes. And I ask myself, what expression of love does that person need? Is it loyalty? Is it compassion? Is it a little help with creativity? Is it mentoring for a student? Is it what I call carefrontation? It's a word I coined with, with Scotty Peck <laughs> some years ago. You know, I had uh, that word in graduate uh, school, carefrontation. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it. We, we, I wrote a chapter about it in Why Good Things Happen to Good People. And... Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's that skill set, not everybody has it, of helping people see where they're going wrong, but not losing them in the process, if you will, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, but loyalty, some people just need that sense that you're still with them, sticking with them despite tough times. I mean, if you, it's, it's not random acts of kindness. It's being intentional over the course of a day about how you're going to interact with the world around you. And if you can master that, that's pretty much the secret. It is. It, 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 in my experience, it is certainly uh, a vital component to uh, my life being happier. And it's just fun. It, it sure is. You know, I, some friends of mine wrote an article in a psychology journal uh, some years ago, and, they, and, it, and it showed that when people who have been married for a long time and had good relationships, that's an important caveat, loved each other, right? Um, So a spouse passes away. Well, the remaining spouse, the widow, the widower, does better with grief and bereavement. They get through it quicker and in a more sustained way if they can self-report 
helping activities in their neighborhood, in their families, in their environment, some volunteering and the like. So I got a phone call, and some organization of widows and widowers in New York asked me to give a talk for their annual convention. So I went there and I gave a talk. I presented some of this science. The Q&A was pretty good. Uh, But then uh, at the end, Lisa, there was a guy in the back of the room, and he stood up and he said, I don't care what you say, buddy. I don't do nothing for nothing. And and like you said at the introduction, you know, the problem is that people get so locked into this, you know, payback calculation that they don't realize if they could just put that on the shelf and get get away from it, you know, and just live this kind of generous life, not to be naive or silly or Pollyannish, but to live an intentionally generous life, they're going to be doing so much better. Agreed. Well, we are out of time, and I want to thank you for gifting us with your presence today and sharing your heart, sharing what you love to do and which touches so many lives. To learn more about Dr. Stephen G. Post, please visit unlimitedloveinstitute.org or stephengpost.com. And on Facebook, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, and on Twitter, at Stephen G. Post. Many thanks to you, Dr. Post. Oh, thank you, Lisa, and my very best to all of the Harvest Happiness listeners all over the world. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about altruism today. And we're going to take that subject of altruism and kind of 
put it on a little bit different trajectory, one that might be unique to your thought process until you see it or hear it unfold. With me today is Dr. Dana Klosanen, who is an award-winning psychologist who explores the impact of media and digital technologies on the mythic and moral dimensions of humanity. She focuses on its potential to advance altruism, compassion, and heroism. Dana Klosanen is an award-winning psychologist and author. She explores the impact of medial and digital technologies. She's the author of numerous articles and is currently contributing to a new book series on psychology and popular culture, including The Walking Dead of Psychology, Psych of the Living Dead, and Star Wars Psychology, Dark Side of the Mind. She is the founder of Evolutionary Guidance Media, R&D, Inc., and director of the Mind Lab at C3, the Center for Conscious Creativity. Dr. Clefannon oversees the design of new frameworks for media and communications based on integral theories and systems science. She is currently developing an interactive gaming adventure with real-world consequences, Cyber Hero League. Welcome, Dr. Dana Clefannon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I think the work that you are doing is exciting and and fabulous because it has ramifications that many of us might not normally think of, that we think of the digital era and all of our uh, technology and gadgets as these inanimate objects. But when, in fact, it's the way we use them um, that is exciting to you. Absolutely. Um, As your show focuses on at least one part of it, um, spreading happiness and and also global human flourishing, that's the way that I began looking at the use of the Internet for those positive, the same sort of positive aims that you've been um, promoting and um, investigating in your work. Um, I I noticed that a lot of negative um, words were being coined and tossed around the Internet, like cyberbullying, cyberstalking, cybercrime, and and then we hear about cyber war. And we very seldom hear any new words coined to discuss all of the positive things that are going on online. And that's what led me to begin investigating altruism online, and um, so I coined the tor- term digital altruism to, in the research context to, to, look at, to look at the altruism going on online. And there is quite a bit of it. You know, we don't perhaps naturally link altruism to um, some of these campaigns that are going online, but there's a lot of it. You know, I'm thinking of um, these sites where you... Um, donate money for causes or you donate money to help people get um, startups going. This is kind of the opening, right? It, it is. It's um, That area is, let's just say, scientifically investigated as um, d- more under the, the rubric of generosity, like e-philanthropy, um, and quite a bit. That was one of the early uh, places that that positive action online was investigated was in philanthropy. But um, altruism, on the other hand, it is a little bit different than in, in let's just say, the, the regular space. But what I have um, kind of 
isolated as altruism would be things that don't necessarily, well, in fact, don't involve the exchange of money, but instead involve doing something um, like posting a kind word to a, a friend in need or a, or a tweet that is uplifting to someone or clicking to help a cause or charity. There, There's plenty of places online um, like the Rainforest Action Network, for example, you can go there and click, and your your click actually donates to the purchase of acres, but you're not donating your money, right? You're only having to click. So you're giving a little bit of your time, and then when this is multiplied by millions of people doing this, it actually um, manifests real change in the world. And so that's uh, where the altruism comes from, more so you're giving of your time um, than your money. I love what you just said about posting a kind word to a friend in need, because this is this is altruism in action. There is no um, expected return, personal return on on that. Exactly, because we can do it. Yeah, exactly. We can. <laughs> Just like we can do it, you know, face-to-face, we can do it through the Internet. And, and in fact, in many situations, um, like with young people, particularly high school students, and, and I know you have a, a daughter, isn't that correct? Um, I do. I've got, I've got two teenagers, one okay. boy and one girl. And we, and we do talk about altruism and kindness. We don't talk about it in the context that you're describing it, although we will be tonight around our dinner table. Okay. Well, and the reason I bring them up is because there are some studies that have shown that, um, you know, teenagers are more apt to be cyber bullied and um, have negative things happen to them through their their phones and um, on their on their computer screens. And so, in order to combat that type of behavior, they need an alternative behavior, and they need to understand that. The same way people can promote and say negative things about someone, they can turn around and promote and say positive things about them, and then that is equally spread um, to the same numbers of people and can have as as much of a positive impact as the negative things have a negative impact. And that's just a discussion that I think we miss out on a lot these days. Well, I'm going to have it tonight because I think that it's really, really, it's really important. And you mentioned something else about the um, the digital altruism, about such as leaving a positive review for a service professional or business. And it makes me think of Yelp and how powerful these reviews have become for professionals as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's, we're living in a time where we can really help to boost. Um, the businesses or services of of people who we really, you know, feel have done a good job. Uh, um, a lot of people, again, think about, oh, well, I'm going to leave a negative re- review if they're not satisfied with the service. But simultaneously, it's more, it's an altruistic act to think, well, I'm going to take my time to go do something that will actually support that business. And of course, there's less people motivated to do that than there are people to complain, because when you're upset about something, you know, your tendency is you know, to want to lash out. <laughs> so we have to build and, and instill this tendency to want to actually share the, um, you know, the positive experiences we have. And this really is a form of power, 
you know, that the bullying is a form of, of uh, trying to take overtake uh, power and control because we're coming from a place of low self-esteem. But what you're speaking of is um, taking control of the domain, our own personal domain, from a place of positive empowerment. Exactly, exactly. Building self-esteem and, and positive um, ethical... You know, character strengths and virtues is how I, I like to think about it, building those and instilling those in our, our young people and ourselves. <laughs> and ourselves. I mean, it makes yeah. me feel good when I leave a review for somebody. And I was I was talking the other day with a um, young-ish doctor who was telling me that the face of medicine is now based on Yelp. He said people will look at the doctor's reviews on Yelp before they will go to see him or her, which is hmm. really kind of powerful new for somebody like powerful, you know. It's, and it's like, really, they'll go to Yelp? They say, yeah, because if there's a negative review, they'll they'll make an appointment with another practitioner. Yeah, that's absolutely um, the beginnings of of this type of of spreading positive memes through the internet. As I continued researching. Um, altruism, I actually was led into beginning to research heroism online, and again, another area that um, has had little research, but I found that some of these campaigns that may have, in my initial thinking, I might have put them under digital altruism, I've now started to think of them as collaborative heroism, because most things, we're on well, a lot of these campaigns, let me give you an example first. Um, right now we have this um, earthquake in Nepal, and one of the tools being used to help there is the Google Person Finder. Um, that tool was also used during the Haitian um, earthquake, and it, it's, it's a powerful tool that's helping people on the ground in real time, but it itself is a cyber tool. And we have the same thing that happened um, with the Malaysian, the missing Malaysian airliner. There's a site call, called Tomnod, which is um, a digital search and rescue. So um, millions of people around the world were able to open their computer, download that software, and search the ocean for bits of debris. Um, and help the people who are actually out there in the ships, you know, in the seas and flying the planes over the, the ocean looking for this missing debris. And so this is a, a new type of collaboration that, is a, that spans the on-the-ground worker and the person who, you know, wants to take their time to be involved and engaged in these efforts um, and sometimes when we go towards a, a heroic endeavor in the, you know, in the past, we don't always succeed. And likewise, some of these collaborative efforts may not succeed. In other words, we didn't find the missing airliner yet. But it's, it's an example of I, what I see as just a new type of, of heroism that's go, going to grow in the 21st century and beyond. That is fascinating and um, very exciting because I believe it's the tip of the iceberg. And it opens up um, uh, another part of our discussion about this archetype of, of the cyber hero. And we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, I would love to 
talk about this specifically because I am absolutely in, taken by the work of Joseph Campbell and, and, and the hero's journey. And I think that there is a story to be told um, within this context with your work. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. To learn more about the work of Dr. Dana Klesanen, please visit com. On Facebook, she is at projectmilkyway.cyberherolegue. And on Twitter, the handle is at Dana Klesanen. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. If you feel like happiness is the truth, like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. So good. So good. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness you. Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about altruism. The kind of altruism that we can experience in many ways, from random acts of kindness and emotional generosity in our daily lives, to the same in our digital experience. And with me today is Dr. Dana Klesanen. She's an award-winning psychologist who explores the impact of media and digital technologies on mythic and moral dimensions of humanity. And prior to the break, we began talking about the archetype of the cyber hero. And Dana, I would love for you to break this down for us a little bit further. All right. Thank you, Lisa. It's good to be back. Um, The cyber hero archetype... Um, arose, again, out of looking at the digital altruism online and thinking, well, we have the cyber bully, but we don't have a counterweight. And, in fact, the cyber hero goes beyond what we typically think of as cyber bullying behavior the same way that a criminal maybe goes beyond what a bully does. So the cyber hero takes in that entire um, realm. So on a school play yard, for example, the classmate who stands up against a bully is the hero of for that class or that, you know, person at that moment. 
Um, and then the same way that when we move into the outside world, if a crime is taking place, uh, the person who steps in to stop the crime is a hero. And online, what I started to notice was, again, people who are leaving, um, saying something positive to uplifting to a friend, um, that's more like an altruist. But then when you start to go into some of the activities that I was talking about before the break, um, such as the search and rescue missions, um, and then there's other things, like in the political world, for example, there's the, uh, there was the Coney 2012 campaign, um, which was the search for Joseph Coney. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Um, I am, very much so. So he's a warlord, and um, that campaign actually, although it, they have not arrested uh, Joseph Coney yet, they actually have um, arrested other military people that were uh, part of his um, organization. And then there's other types of this online heroism, cyberhero archetype behavior. For example, the recent, uh, well, last year, the, there was the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard of that one, right? So that's to bring awareness and funding to um, find a cure for that illness. Um, then there's other things that go on on online, such as social activism. There's many petitions we see at change.org, and Facebook has their own site called Causes. Um, and there's all types of different causes that are posted on there. And so the people who represent all of this kind of behavior that I'm talking about, they they didn't have an archetype to represent them. So the cyber hero is a, a new archetype, and, and it's basically designed to give a, a space for this type of uh, person behavior to exist. Um, and again, to help combat, to bring an, an opposite to the negativity that we hear about online all the time. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I, never, I never thought of it that way, you know, the, sort of the mistress of happiness, you know. <laughs> happiness, you know, daunting, you know, with life with you through the airwaves of joy. Yes, well, that's what we're here to do. We, you know, life is, we know life is difficult. We know life is challenging. And so how do we combat um, the realities of our daily experience, which are not often not pleasant, with something that is good? Because there is so much good in the world. And exactly. your work... Uh, and you're, and you're right, it doesn't beautiful. get enough coverage, and I'm glad that, you know, shows like yours are, are out there trying to bring awareness. Um, obviously, negative things are usually what makes the top of the news, but so much good goes on every day, and that's part of what you're covering here. So I appreciate that. In, in, indeed we are, and, and you've given me um, uh, a new view uh, that I need to pay close attention to with this, so thank you for that. So Dina, tell us about the Cyber Hero League because there's some interesting developments that have occurred since this project first went into um, beta testing. Yes, there there has. Cyber Hero League is still being developed and what it is, it's um it's a project that grew out of my academic research as a way to bring the cyber hero archetype into mainstream awareness and 
um, to give young people the ability to take action and make a difference in the world. And I normally describe the game, or best describe it, as an interactive scout-like adventure. Um, instead of earning fake badges, players earn the right to display badges of real-world nonprofit organizations that they've apprenticed with during the gameplay. And the game, as they're playing, it results in contributions of charitable items to our nonprofit partners. So the idea is to empower youth with the ability to tackle global challenges while they're learning about those global challenges. And we have been excited by a, a recent invitation to submit, um, well, to showcase our game in the Games Learning and Society um, game showcase at the University of Wisconsin, um, and that that's a big, exciting news that we just recently received. This is huge news, and congratulations. And I just want to add that the combined um, experience of your development team, you've had 25 years' experience working with industry giants such as Disney, Universal Studios, and Warner Brothers. So the team that has been assembled is is esteemed. Absolutely. We have a great team and we're um, we're just knee deep in the development and our plan is to launch in the fall with our first apprenticeship and then um, we'll be rolling out other apprenticeships um, on a, a routine basis after that. And um, what age group is this focused towards? Well, we we like to say 9 to 14 right now. Um, that's our target audience. Uh, we're hoping that our players will grow with the game and that we will add more nonprofit organizations with, for example, content that you might not introduce to a 9-year-old, um, but you might introduce to a 16-year-old if our players age up with us, for example, um, I guess a good example of that would be human trafficking. We wouldn't be introducing that as a as a global challenge to a really young uh, person, but when a, when someone's old enough to understand that that's going on, then we would want to give them the means to tackle that as well. Fabulous. And, and there is a trailer available at www.cyberheroleague.com. So for all the moms and dads listening who have children in this launch age group from about 9 to 14-ish, you can jump on that website and have a look at what Dana is up to. The other area where you can learn more is uh, her blog, Dana's blog at Psychology Today. So psychologytoday.com, Dr. Kwasanen has a blog there where she's introducing the cyber hero archetype. Thank you for um, putting all of that news out there for everyone, Lisa. Oh, I, I, I love to plug great projects like yours that are, you know, creating uh, a more gentle world in which to live. And I think that is the bottom line, that our desire is to make our lives um um, calmer, center, more focused, and certainly to provide that for those that we serve and, and help. And I think to do this for a young person to instill this um, ethos in young minds uh, will make for happier adults and a happier world in which to live in generations to come. And I think that's the bottom line. That's the exciting part. 
It is. It absolutely is. It was my original inspiration to try to tackle um, what seemed like um, learned helplessness, which is a condition when although you can take action, you don't because you have in the past not been able to. And so I think that our our youth today, they hear about all of these things from um, global warming to um, major crisis and wars and and, you know, extinction of species, but we're not giving them tools in which they can do something. And I'm afraid that if we don't give them tools, then as they age up and become adults, they will feel that they still can't make a difference, even though actually they can. Um, But by providing them with these tools at a younger age, then they will have been able to be participating um, in tackling some of these challenges all along, and so it will just seem to be a normal progression as they continue to um, become adults. And important also is it learns uh, we, we learn to manage our fear. When we give these tools to young people, we help them cultivate their own problem-solving abilities. When it's not just for ourselves, but it's for others as well, we tend to rise to the occasion and step into a place of action. Which that's is a good point. Absolutely, yeah, that's a good point, and that's that's right. When our our children watch all of these blockbuster um, shows about superheroes, and and that's well and good and wonderful, but instead of just wishing that they could have some of those powers. Now they can use the powers of the internet, and um, and actually help help others and help animals and help the environment. And while they're doing that, build their own self esteem. Well, thank you, Dana. Thank you for sharing your amazing work. It's very very exciting. And to our listeners, if you have just caught the tail end of this show, please download this podcast and share it because sharing is caring. And we are talking about digital altruism at the moment, so you will be sharing a good and worthy thing. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, grace, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest today, Dana Klosanen and Stephen Post, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And I want to thank our producers, Eric and Sarah, who make us shine each and every week. We really appreciate you. Go out and make it a great week. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. 
Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.